Hello and welcome to episode 111 of the NFL Scotland podcast. The 2020 season is a matter of weeks away and we hope you've got those Monday holiday requests in. My name is Cameron Hobbs. And my name is Gordon McGuinness. We'll stick in the south this week as we question if the Panthers' will form will get hotter now that they've got Bridgewater. Does the arrival of a fit again girly mean this Falcon season won't be over early? Will the Buccaneers be formidably stonk with the experience of Brady and Gronk? And you don't need a degree from Princeton to see the Saints' future starting quarterback is Jameis Winston. To do all that, we're delighted to be joined by a newbie to the podcast, but a name you'll know as we're joined by cricketer turned commentator and Tampa Bay's Buccaneers fan. Welcome, Charles Dagno. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. What an intro that was as well. And the poetic license that Cotton <laughs> just spewed forth was was sort of, it's given me an idea, actually, of, of the sort of the, the standards that I've got to meet to um, to really sort of stamp my authority on, on this podcast. And and I've got to be honest, lads are not that high. Uh, so, uh, you know, if the, if the poetry is anything to go by, but no, I'm really glad to be... Um, uh, to be joining you and uh, we're not long away from the season as well just itching to get going absolutely and if you've been listening to this podcast you know there's always a fourth member so joining charles is a man you've heard moan on over 110 episodes of this podcast he's hoping that the super bowl winner this year is a saint but we're here to tell him the officials will make sure it ain't our very own paul mitchell good evening Good evening, Cameron. Thank you for inviting me back onto my own podcast. That's particularly <laughs> lovely of you. And I would like to say that it is actually, I love coincidence in life. So this is episode 111. We bring in Charles Dagno from Test Match Special, of course. 111's got great significance in cricket. If you're Australian, it's the Nelson. It's the unlucky number for the Australian cricket team. So there you go. A little bit of side knowledge. Yeah, there you go. And we had a cricketer last week as well. We're cricket hot. Ali Evans, Indeed. Scotland internationalist cricketer last week. Yeah. He's a Titans fan. And now we've got a Tampa fan and a cricketer as well. Charles, episode, what... episode number 111. And, you know, as Paul says, he's absolutely right. Now, traditionally, you're supposed to, uh, the, the old cricket umpire, David Shepherd, whenever the score was number 111, you couldn't have both feet on the ground. You had to raise your feet off the ground. So strictly speaking, gentlemen, during the entirety of this podcast, both of your feet should be off the ground. So put them up. <laughs> I, have done, I have done this. I am actually on, um, uh, on my poof. Uh, I've got my feet up, uh, and uh, they're at least a foot off the ground. So just, I would, I would, I would hope that you would all follow my lead. We are sticklers for tradition here, oh, so no. we'll jump on that one. <laughs> right? Yeah, I've got, I've got, my, I've got my feet up on Jameis Winston. So, it's <laughs> oh God, you're right. This is going to be a long night. Um, Charles, we always start off with the same questions to our newbies, so let's cover off a few of these. People will know exactly who you are, and we've covered what you do. What got you into the NFL, though? I'm like a lot of people, mid eighties. Uh, I was young, uh, uh, and you know what I remember is going on a sort of, and, and hence why the Buccaneers originally, because we went on a, a family holiday, the Disney World type of holiday. We we're very lucky that we, we got to go over there. Uh, and before we left, my mum and dad wanted us to go to a game, and so it just so happened. I now I hadn't a clue uh, at the time, but it was a preseason game. But we didn't know the other. We just wanted to experience it. Well. You know, we'd always, living in, in Lancashire, we, you know, it was football. It was football, it was rugby league. They, they were the two winter sports uh, for us and then cricket in the summertime. But 
when we got taken to the game, we all we all went, and this was in a time where we were in the creamsicles as well. You know, we got some knockoff shirts that Dad bought on from some vendor on a street corner somewhere, and they all had number twelve on. And we all went down to we went down to the old um, Hulan Stadium. Well, if you imagine that the first, you know, the biggest stadium I'd ever been to was either Turf Moor, but Burnley or Burnham Park or Central Park, where Wigan Rugby League played. So these were maybe 20,000 capacity, sort of 18 to 20,000 capacity. And they were fairly, you know, old sort of structures with those horrible sort of, um, you know, roofs with the, with, you know, the, the, I forgot what they're called, what they're, the, um, uh, the sheet metal roofing. And it was all very rattly and dank and horrid. Well, suddenly, I mean, 80 degrees going towards this open stadium that didn't have a roof and it was wavy. On, it was it was like a velodrome shaped to the Hulan Stadium, and it was just colossal. Now, at ten years old, the enormity and the magnitude of the size of this thing just blew my mind. Absolutely, I'm thinking, what are we going to? This is just incredible. And then we get there, and 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 you know the the American fans who were there were more than helpful. Do you know what? I think you'll all understand if. You know, people go over. There is not one American fan who will not explain what's going on if you're if you're a newbie to the game. That's how, and so that was a, a first because usually you go to the football and people are telling you where to go, <laughs> and not in a good way. Um, and so we 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 watched this game, and there were helmets and logos and pads, and uh, you know, we've not never seen anything like this at ten years old because it wasn't regularly on the television. There was dancing girls with pom poms and all of the. And I just thought I didn't know sport could be like this. I just didn't know. And it grabbed me right then. So when I got back home, it was Nicky Horn on Channel 4s on 1985 or 84, whatever it was. And I just got sucked into it. And from there on it, it was a Buccaneers fan and was an American football fan. And um, it, it is a similar story for many people, I am sure, whether it be the Disneyland story or, or just what they watched in the eighties, this different sport that we'd been uh, offered up, especially on channel four, which was a new channel, which everyone thought was a bit weird. And, you know, they had this weird sport on as well. And that's when I got hooked and have loved it ever since. I'm very lucky um, since then to have been able to do the sort of things I've been doing with the NFL. And, you know, when I was, doing the podcast with Neil Reynolds along, you know, a few years back and uh, doing the stuff for BBC Sport, writing a few articles and then, you know, doing some commentary uh, and, and hosting some of the, the big uh, events at Wembley and stuff like that. I thought, my God, from going to Hulahan Stadium to this, you know, cricket's my job. I love cricket. I adore cricket. Um, but it is my job. It's what I do. It's what I've always been involved with. But this is a love. You know, and I don't, I'm not the most knowledgeable guy about American football. You know, all three of you blow me out of the water when it comes to the knowledge of, of the NFL. But that said, it's it's just an absolute passion. Um, you know, I want Scott Hansen to be my dad. Um, it's, it, it, you know, I, I just absolutely love it. Like we all love it. And we love talking about it. That's why I love doing podcasts and stuff like that. I love talking to people who, A, know more than me, much like I do with cricket. You know, you talk to Michael Vaughan, you talk to, to 
uh, Michael Atherton and NASA are saying, David Lloyd, these people who know more than you. And it's interesting because it's something that you uh, that you love doing and love being involved with. So um, so that was where it started. Um, and that's why I've been a Bucks fan through thin and thinner and the odd good year here and there. <laughs> and we'll get on to what uh, the bandwagon believes may be a good year. But before we do that, the last question we'll always ask, if you played the game yourself, what position would you have played? Well, I did. So I was playing, uh, do you, you know this, don't you? You know this, yeah, I thought you did. So um, <laughs> I, when I retired in 05 from playing for Leicestershire, I had a very bad shin injury. Um, and so I retired at 28, and I actually only got over them a couple of years later. Anyway, I thought, and I'd started working on the radio locally by then, and, and, and so like the cricket thing was, was pretty much done, but I'd never really played a contact sport. You know, I'd only ever played cricket for, properly. So there was a new club, the Leicester Falcons, that had just started up uh, in the local area. And you know, I thought, well, you know what, I fancy this. I'll, I'll go down. Anyway, my intention was to be a kicker. And the reason was I wouldn't probably get hammered by anyone massive. Because I was cricket, I was frightened to death of everyone. So um, even though I'm six foot four and, you know, 14 stone, at the time, 15 stone. Uh, so it was a big, big old unit. But And they sort of went, kicker. And I went, I went yeah, that's that's what I fancy doing. They said, well, I'll tell you what, we'll line you up at tight end. Well, the thing was, I could catch. I've been catching for 20 odd years, little cricket balls as opposed to massive uh, American football. So I obviously I sort of had that hand-eye coordination. Plus, I also had a bit of speed. Because I was, yeah, you know, I was only thirty at the time, um, and and I was I was quite quick. Anyway, um, I, th- I played, and then I found I got hit, and I found the contact, and I went, do you know what? I'm not dead. This is quite good. I enjoyed that, so I wanted a bit more contact and a bit more and a bit more. Anyway, uh, a long story even longer. I changed uh, from tight end to playing quarterback, and the reason was is that not only had I been catching for. 20, 30 years, I've been throwing. And so I had a very, very strong throwing arm. Uh, so I picked, I picked up the ball. I had, you know, I'd always done it as a kid and playing. So those sort of skills come back to you. And I picked up and I just threw it 50 yards, no problems. You know, that, that was, that, you know, even in pads, I was throwing it 50 yards. It was a nice spiral and all that because I've been doing it. My body was trained to do it. So they've all looked at this. The coaches have looked at this and thought, oh, oh yeah, this boy can throw. And, uh, and I'm, I'm going to give it, imagine the game Madden, which I'm sure all of you have had a little play on, right? And, and and each player gets a certain designated skill number. So if you're, you know, if you're a particularly good player, you, you know, you've got, as a quarterback, you've got throwing power and throwing accuracy. Now, if, if, if I was on Madden, my throwing power would have been 99. My throwing accuracy would have been 99. I could put a ball on a, you know, because I was throwing to stumps 100 yards away. Not a problem. Anything with those two attributes, this guy can't miss. Then go to awareness, right? Awareness minus 32, right? (laughs) And and when people used to run it in practice, it was great. No one used to run it. And then when people actually used to run it, man, I was panicking like you wouldn't believe. Just lost all confidence in any throwing ability or um, or direction just sat for a pastime, um, and uh, and and yeah, I was feeble, horrific quarterback. Uh, but if you like, in 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 practice, great quarterback, really good because no one was 
coming to, to, to run after me. Um, but yeah, my awareness was so bad, so bad. So yeah, I, I had a couple of seasons of doing that, and um, but loved it. I really loved it. Fantastic. Right. Well, we're going to stick with quarterback chat then anyway, because let's start this whole thing with Tampa and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. As I said at the top there, you know, the bandwagon is very much in full swing. It's moving at pace, but we don't know whether it's hurtling towards success or <clears throat> to go off the edge of a cliff. So the question to you to kick this all off, Charles, is um, can Tampa win the Super Bowl? Well, yeah, they can. <laughs> um, oh, this is, oh, thanks for this. I've only been speaking for about 15 minutes already. How old are you? <laughs> sorry, to, sorry to Gordon and to Paul uh, as well, because they've not said a dicky bird really yet, and, and I'm going to prattle on about what's going on. Um, can they win it? Yeah, of course they can win it. Um, the, the, the fact is I don't think they will. Um, and even as the most optimistic has, let, let, let's just go through it a little bit. The pickups of Brady and the pickup of Gronk have added to the problem or, or to one problem area of the Buccaneers. And that was their quarterback position because he liked to throw it to the other team. Now, apparently in American football, that's not great. And he did it 30 times last year. Uh, and I think a third of them went for touchdowns. Now, you know, you could argue that Jameis threw 40, 40 touchdown passes last year. And, and But, you know, some of them were for other teams. Um he was a huge problem. Yes, he threw the ball for 5,000 yards. Fantastic. And people will say, yes, well, he had no running game. And yeah, I, 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 I understand all of that. But you're looking for minimal mistakes as well. And when you upgrade, and it is an upgrade. Yeah, he's 40-odd years old, Tom Brady coming down. He's got six rings. The guy's got six rings. Now, I don't care what age you are. If he's coming down to quarterback and he is still hungry, which it seems he is, and... Players like that, great players like that, always love to prove people, oh, you can't do it somewhere else. You can't do it without Josh McDaniels calling your plays in the system of Newey. You can't do it. Well, they have a tendency to try and prove people wrong like that because they're made a different way. Those types of players are made. You can look in any sport, Cristiano Ronaldo or Kevin Peterson. or These guys are made differently. Usain Bolt, whatever it may be. The one thing I hope, that this does for Tampa Bay, and I, I won't go into specifics yet, but the one thing I hope it does is change their mindset. This is a losing franchise. This is a, a franchise that is used to losing. Yes, they won the Super Bowl in 02, and, and that was great. And they had a, a good five or six years with that Warren Sapp, Derek Brooks, Rondé Barber type of um, defense, John Lynch, etc. Mike Olstott and Brad Johnson controlling it. And, you know, they had some great, players there but that was a five or six year uh, span where they were great outside of those prior to that and maybe bar the strike season of 82 or whatever it was you know Tampa Bay overall have been a losing franchise they are synonymous with underperforming and underachieving what I hope Tom Brady does is change the mindset in the locker room and if that's all he does then it's been a huge success what it takes to change a franchise from losing perennially to, to winning, what it takes to win, to be the first guy out on the training pitch, to be the last guy coming in. Some of these young lads, they're going to be dumbstruck that they're practicing with someone of the caliber of Tom Brady, who's done what he has in the game. So he can be a galvanizing force in the change of 
of, of attitude within the locker room. Now, has he still got it? Yeah, of course he has. Else he wouldn't do it. And I think a player of that nature knows if he can do it or not. Um, has he got the weapons to do it? Yeah. He's got thousands of them and he loves the different, he loves going to different receivers. He's got hundreds that he can throw to. Um, so, so I think that the other thing, that I'm going to temper that. One thing Tampa Bay haven't been is relevant. They've not been relevant since the time of Sapp and Brooks and all of those players and Gruden. They're now relevant. Why are they relevant? Because the biggest star in, in, in the country is coming to play for them. And then the net, his best mate is coming to play as well. It's a bit of a circus. Film crews are now turning up by the truckload. Newspaper writers chronicling every move Brady makes and Gronk makes, every pass completion that they do in practice. I've seen it on social media today that they're just chronicling it. There is a huge amount. They're going to be on prime time every other week, if not every week. Why? Because Brady's there. So those players are going to have to know that the circus comes to town every single week in Tampa. Not such a bad thing because it does make them relevant, but I just hope that he creates a different environment for these young players to, to, to actually look and see and say, this is what it takes if you're going to win. And they can't turn around and say, well, no, it doesn't, because he can just show him his, his hand and a finger of rings um, to, to prove that. So, so I'm excited. Of course you're excited. I'm excited as a Buccaneers fan. We still have problems, but goodness me, it's nice to be relevant again. Yeah, and Paul, you know, we, we've talked about the Bucs a lot. Obviously, being a Saints fan, it's a team that comes up a lot. We're about to have our third ever week one event coming up of course online this year but the first one we ever did was in the pub in Edinburgh the Saints played the Bucks that night there was much uh, oh. finger pointing to the Buccaneers fan in the front row and who of course absolutely stuck it to the Saints was the Tampa Bay Buccaneers for me a perpetual any given Sunday team they you don't expect much from them over a season but you know that they're just capable of beating anybody on their day are they now for you as a Saints fan the biggest threat in the division if it's not going to be the Saints. And we're talking about the Bucks yeah. here, so don't bring this right round to the Saints. Just No, no, no. Well, I mean, I've got great sympathy for for Tampa Bay because, like Charles, you know, I've holidayed in Florida. Florida is my holiday destination of choice. The Tampa Bay Rays are my baseball team for whom I am fanatical. Um, so I like sport in the area. I also follow the Tampa Bay Lightning. Just it's history that I, I picked the Saints years and years ago. Probably Don't feel bad time. about it, Paul. Don't feel bad. No, I, no, I, no, I, no, I love no. it. I, I I love it. I love it, Charles. But it, you know, so I've, I've got a I've got a sympathy for the Buccaneers. And I think what the biggest difference is, and I think Charles made it last year. I I was looking because I follow various people in Tampa Bay on Twitter. And I think people couldn't get rid of their tickets to go and see the Buccaneers. You know, people had season tickets. I think Dick Vitale, you know, famous basketball announcer, had basically said, you know, he he couldn't give his tickets away to family and friends. Now you will not be able to get a seat once crowds are allowed back in. You know, it's going to be the hottest ticket in town. And I think that's always a brilliant thing. What it does for, from a Saints perspective is it makes that game relevant again because our record against them has been pretty damn good. I think when they've beaten us with that exception, you know, it's been tail end of the season stuff that we've not needed to win so I think it really puts a great focus on the division and as Charles will tell you and Gordon will tell you from the stats if you're playing better players 
you prepare better and you execute better. So it gives the Saints an absolutely great challenge. So instead of week one, the Saints going, oh, it's the Bucks at home, one and oh, they're going to have to work and be ready because tell you what, Tampa Bay will be. Yeah, absolutely they will. Gordon, if we're going to flip it round, what's the weakness in Tampa? What's the area that they need to work on and address if they're going to have a successful year? So... I, I mean, their defense, I think, has the chance to be really good again this year. Their defensive coordinator is really good. I think rather than a weakness, it's a concern. And it goes, th- these two th- concerns that I have kind of go hand in hand. You've you've added Tom Brady, but you've added him in an off season whereby teams couldn't properly get together. And they're only now, a month before the season, finally getting, or, you know, yeah, a month before the season, finally getting pads on. Um, and Bruce Arians' offense is not the simplest offense in the world to learn. I've used this stat on the show before, but at, at PFF, we track uh, something called turnover-worthy plays, which are passes that should be intercepted or fumbles. Um, and the record for most in the season is Andrew Luck in 2012, Carson Palmer in 2013, and Jameis Winston last year, all with 40. Hey. And all, all of those were the quarterback's first year in the Bruce Arians offense. So Tom Brady is a different breed of player, but Bruce Arians offense sometimes has a little bit higher of a learning curve than quarterbacks are used to. Um, so it might be that with that and with the delays that coronavirus has caused, the Bucks might start a little bit slow. Um, and in, in a division like the NFC South, you know, stuttering out the gate and being one in three after four games is going to have an impact, you know, late in the season when it comes to who wins the division, who's the number one seed in the conference, who's the, who's getting the buys, things like that. So um, if they can hit the ground running early, I think they're going to be a force to be reckoned with, not just in the division, but throughout the entire NFL. I've got bigger concerns than that. <laughs> <laughs> have you seen? I'll tell you what. It's, it's, it's funny. You look at the stats, and Gordon, you'll be able to back me up on this with some numbers, I'm convinced. But no one could run on the books last year. No one could run. That front seven is epic. I would argue that front seven of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, when you look at them, Dominican Sue, Yvita Veya, uh, Jason Pierre-Paul, William Goldston, you've got Devin White, you've got Levante David. These are stud players in the, in the, in the, in the front seven. The only problem is is that everyone just threw the ball over those front seven and our on our secondary was just so bad so 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 bad which is not great in a division of uh you know julio jones and um michael thomas and now emmanuel sanders um and also um uh, then you go over to Carolina, who have now just picked up Robbie Anderson. The one thing I've ever got right, by the way, uh, in predicting in <laughs> NFL, um, I said that Robbie Anderson will go to Carolina, and he did. And just that's the first time anything has come true that I've said. Um, uh, DJ Moore, uh, fantastic. They, you know, this is a, 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 a division of, I would say, three, you know, pretty, well, three nailed on. I would say two nailed on Hall of Famers and one outsider for Hall of Fame in, in Matt Ryan. Um, so these are three veteran QBs with fantastic wideouts. And then you've got Carolina and Teddy Bridgewater, who I still think we'll talk about that in a minute. But, you know, they've got a decent arsenal of weapons to throw to as well. Every single concern of the Buccaneers should be geared towards that secondary. I think the running game will will come to... and. 
will um will, will be just enough because Brady can just dink and dunk it anyway and, and that's as like a running game. Uh but but my biggest worry for the Buccaneers, even though they drafted uh, uh Antoine Winfield in the safety position, I just still worry about that secondary in that division. So you actually touched on something that I was going to come on to next, which is that running game and the fact that Brady in New England has leaned on a solid backfield in his offense for a long time. And even if you look at the players that he he has dinked and dunked to, it's those sort of small yeah. slot receivers that are able to make the space, get the separation in a f- very short number of yards. You look at the targets that he's got here. And I mean, Mike Evans, OJ Howard and Rob uh, Gronk are huge units of men. They're not guys that are going to necessarily get you five yards of separation in a 10-yard distance, I wouldn't have said, although Gordon might shoot me down. Uh, Godwin's different, but Godwin's best assets is speed. So I'm not even sure he's going to be able to dink and dunk it all that often in this scheme. Um, I, I think you're right. I think, I think you're really right. The, 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 the one thing he does have, there's a couple of slot guys um, who are just, in fact, they drafted one as well. And sorry, the name escapes me. The What he does have is two elite wide receivers. And the Godwin-Evans axis is fantastic. He has got three fabulous tight ends. My my thing for, for the Bucks this year is going to be huge matchup problems. They're going to have to, you know, defense is going to have to match up because if you concentrate on Gronk, you've got Cameron Bray who's a real red zone threat. You've got O.J. Howard, who's been massively underused so far in in Tampa, but it tells you something that they didn't want to trade him away where they could easily have with Brayton Gronk um, on the the books as well. So you do have some big old targets for for Tom Brady, but I think what he is, is... better than, than anyone at doing is finding his mismatches is finding uh, the guys if you're going to stick fine stick a linebacker on um on some of those tight ends they're gonna they're gonna outgun you for for, for a little bit of pace if you stick a db on they're just gonna throw it up and, and and ask him to make plays which is what they do anyway so so Keyshawn Vaughn will be an interesting one um that they drafted this year uh you know good out of the backfield you know my my biggest concern for the running backs is I think out of the com- they'll get they'll use the committee. I think they'll use Ronald Jones in that sort of you know that he'll probably start Peyton Barber then then Keyshawn Vaughn and and you know they they have improved out of the backfield catching. I think they've got to make sure that blitz pickup is going to be critical. You've got to keep Brady upright. The, the offensive line is pretty reasonable, I think. Actually, it's it's, it's there's worse, there's better. But I think you've got to keep Brady upright. And I think if you don't pick up that blitz, you will probably get told. Tom will probably uh, have a word in your shell like uh, and uh, and and sort of ask you, to, you know, ask you to do the job. That's but I'm with you. I agree. I agree with the fact that the Arians offense is, is something new for him. But you just got to hope that, um, you know, that the chemistry is there. Yes, indeed. Right, we'll move on to another team. Uh, we'll come back around and get predictions on how this division is going to end up towards the end. But the the contenders, the current champions, the the reigning supreme, the shafted in the postseason, the New Orleans Saints. Um, Paul, I, I, the New Orleans Saints can... <laughs> I'm trying to think of a question here that I can absolutely... <laughs> yeah. Okay, how many quarterbacks are going to throw touchdowns if the New Orleans Saints are going to win the Super Bowl this year? 
<laughs> well, it depends. I mean, by the time we wrap up the division in week 13, we might give Jameis Winston a wee <laughs> shot just, just for the sheer utter hell of it. Um, you know, we've we've got the best in the business. I think, you know, it's interesting. We are in a season like no other where stability I think is going to play a big part. And I think the Saints are pretty damn stable. You know, if you look from the special teams, the core is all retained from there. Special teams always plays its part. So I think that's really important. I think you're looking at, all you've had to do is replace a, a backup quarterback with some guy they've signed on a one-year deal. That's fine. Uh, you know, they've extended Taysom Hill. He just brings you that X factor. I know not everybody likes that, but I do, you know, Sean Payton will be creating and thinking of ways. He has to get smarter as well, because I think the division's got better. So he's going to get smarter. I think if you look across our, our lines, you know, they are pretty damn solid. Bad news today. Andreas Pete, our guard, who we signed at a new five-year deal, broke his thumb. He'll be out two to three weeks, but hopefully, you know, we'll come right. You know, David Onyemata uh, at a great 2018, a lesser 2019, he'll bounce back. But there's two players I think make a big difference bringing in because what they've brought in is quality. Malcolm Jenkins will help our secondary because we have been underwhelming, I think would be would be the phrase there. And Emmanuel Sanders just takes the pressure off Michael Thomas on the other side. So you've got that wonderful dual threat. They've drafted well. Cesar Ruiz from Michigan Center, he'll probably play at right guard, is tremendous. Uh, the linebacker from Wisconsin is Zach Braun. He's decent. But the guy who might make a difference, and it's interesting, Charles mentioned the number of tight ends in Tampa. You know, we've got Janet Cook, we've got Josh Hill, but we've now got Adam Troutman out of Dayton. And he looks really, really good. And I like him. And I think he could cause problems. I think he's come to the right organization. So all round, uh, I think the Saints are great. They're 37 and 11 in the last three seasons. Uh, they're looking to win the division for the fourth time. The, you know, the, the last team to win it three were the Panthers. And then they went six and 10. The Saints are not going six and 10 unless there's a meltdown at quarterback. And even if there's a meltdown at quarterback, as they showed with Teddy coming in last year, they've got enough to nurse that through. Uh, if Jameis Winston does come in, it is my worst nightmare. Um, but at least, <laughs> at, at least we don't... Oh, at least we don't play in red or green, which which is a big help. Um, so, you know, I, I'm really optimistic because of the core of that team. You know, the defense is decent. We're third in sacks. Last year we were second in turnover differentiation. You know, I have no problem with the way that the Saints went out against Minnesota. I've said that before. It was the one against the Rams that hurt uh, because everybody knew that that was wrong. I don't mind being beaten on the field, but you know that's just the way it goes. But I think I think we're ready. I think we're primed. But I think Tampa are better. Atlanta, I think, have done the right thing, sticking by their coaching staff. We'll come on to them in a moment. I think they're a real danger as well. So I think it's a really fascinating division. I I think the interesting thing with the Saints is I think you're right. Unless Drew Brees gets hurt, there's no reason to worry about a six and ten season. My worry for the Saints would not be anything that happens in September, October, November. If you look at the playoff loss to the Vikings last year, and if you look at now, let's I'll I'll not I'll not joke about this. The the Rams pass interference thing was the primary reason. However, even after that, that game was still there for the Saints to win. And after that, Drew Brees tried to throw downfield and the ball just died on him. I really worry about Drew Brees' arm late in December into January um, at the age he is now and what we've seen over the last couple of years 
his arm is not the same in in December that it is in September. And I worry that you almost you, you might need to have a situation whereby you know, you do get some time for Jameis Winston, hopefully week 16, 17, to give Breeze a little bit of a rest to try and reinvigorate himself for the for the postseason. Because I would worry that, you know, if you need to try and go and pass downfield in January, that Drew Breeze' arm is just not going to be there throughout the course of the season. I mean, who in their right mind would go into the season with a 40-year-old quarterback? I mean, what? <laughs> it's just ludicrous. <laughs> I mean, what was going on there? It's two of them. It's two of them in our league. Look, I, I, I look. The Saints are going to win the division. I, I don't think I, I'd be staggered if they don't. I think they're the most complete team in the NFC. Don't you? I mean, they've got uh, Malcolm Jenkins for me. I agree with Paul. That's a massive pickup. They've got a, a great front four. Linebacking calls a little weak, save one. Um, but overall, I think they're a complete team. They've got a great offensive line. I don't think people. I think people start the season. Um, they say he's going to miss miss some, but I, I think when it comes to it, Andrew Speed will, uh, will shore up that uh, offensive line. I think they really are a complete side. I think it's Taysom Hill time. I really do. I think I, I'm with Gordon that it's, uh, that Drew Brees' arm isn't what it was, and Taysom Hill has already said he wants to try and get in this league as a standalone quarterback. So I'm I'm on that ship, massively on that ship. Forget Jameis. We know about Jameis. James is going to throw it to the other side. It's time for Taysom Hill to take the reins at the New Orleans Saints, uh, but they're going to win the division. I just wonder if their losses in the postseason is now starting to become a little bit of a monkey on the back. They've had great opportunities. And I know the pass interference call and all of that, but I think, you know, this has been a side that's been good for a long, long time and are still very good. But if you, I think if they get over that first hurdle in the first round of the playoffs or, or after the bye week in the divisional rounds, then I think we could uh, see their name back on the Lombardi. I think they're a complete team, which pains me as they're in the same division. <laughs> they are. Do you know what? They are a complete team. I actually, I think the pickup of Emmanuel Sanders, I think Sanders was a large missing piece for the Saints last year. I, I think it's a really interesting point about that monkey on the back. I do think that when it gets to postseason, now as soon as anything doesn't quite go as it should be called, I think that just becomes such a a big thing that the psyche of that is going to eat away at the Saints players and they're going to just immediately start thinking, here we go again, we're going to get shafted again. And when you got that on your back, I, I think that was part of the reason why Breeze and the rest of that game was so off his game. I think that it was he was raging. He was absolutely raging angry um, and he couldn't he couldn't find his groove. When they are in that groove, they are virtually unstoppable, I think. Breeze's class is absolutely capable. I'm not sure his arm's got the distance anymore, but I don't think he needs to. Uh, you know, having Kamara in the backfield, obviously he didn't have a great year last year, but I always think the one thing about running backs is they always have a year where they're a bit bang average and then suddenly they spring back and the year after they're they're back in their groove again. So I, I think Kamara will have a great year. Latavius Murray is that battering ram. You've got Thomas and Sanders. You've got uh, Jared Cook there as well. You know, there, there's a lot of talent on this offense. You have got Taysom Hill, who just adds that different factor. And you've got Jameis, if you want to roll him out and get something from him. Um, 
you know, Charles, for context, both Paul and I are red-green colorblind, and we have long hypothesized that Jameis Winston is colorblind. I think playing in black and gold and against teams in white will suit him down to the T. He will thrive in that monochrome world, and he will ascend to that number one role uh, in in New Orleans, and they will they will love him. They will embrace him. He seems, he seems to be not colorblind to whatever opposition colors are wearing <laughs> at that particular time. So, so I'm not quite sure. All I will say is about this: if you're playing the Saints, Paul, back me up. If you're playing the Saints, Michael Thomas caught 149 balls last year. 149 balls. Why are you not quadruple teaming the dude? <laughs> Right, just let everybody else play, play, you know, play. Don't play nickels, don't play dimes. You play your quarter defense, right? And you stick four of your defensive back on Michael Thomas, and then you just go man on man uh, on on all of the rest of the thing. You've got to take him out of the game. He is ridiculous. He catches pigeons. He is he is such a good good player, and and. If you're catching 149 balls, someone somewhere is not covering him right. They've got to work out, and teams within that division have got to work out how you're going to cover Michael Thomas. He cannot keep doing this, and he's been doing it since he's come into the league. He's epic to watch. Breeze to Thomas has become literally boring. It's like it's like when I'm commentating, it's, you know, Alistair Cook goes forward and defends. That's what Michael Thomas does when he's receiving... You know, it's the amount, same amount of time. Yeah, Sa- no, no, with Sanders on the other side, I think that's brilliant. Sanders is primed for a big year. I think Sanders has picked the right team to go to. He's not daft. Uh, mm-hmm. I think he's picked the right place to land. So there, there, there is a lot of good and a lot of positivity. And do, I do accept what you say, Cameron. You know, sometimes, you know, if you've been beaten before, um, you know, your head can go down. But, you know, Breeze has got a ring. Peyton's got a ring. You know, they've been there. There's still a few players around that have enjoyed success. And I've always said, you know, the best sporting tales come when you've had adversity to overcome. You know, and if Breeze does, you know, get mm-hmm. that Lombardi, he can point back to Minnesota. He can point back to the Rams game and say, you know, I've been good enough to overcome this. And I think sport loves stories like that. So yeah. I'll be insufferable, I have to tell you, but... <laughs> I love stories like that. Oh, you are anyway, it's fine. Um, right, <laughs> Gordon, we'll move on then. Uh, and you and me get the dross. Um, I'll give you the slightly less dross dross. Actually, do you know what? That's harsh. I don't think there's any dross teams in this division. Um, there's just teams that aren't going to win it. And one of those teams is the Atlanta Falcons. So the question to you, Gordon, is how many wins do Atlanta need to have this year for it to be considered a successful season? I think they have to make the playoffs. So minimum nine, probably 10. Um, I don't know that they're as far away from competing for the division as people think. Um, I think Matt Ryan is to the point now in his career where he's being underrated a little bit. Um, he, you know, the, Everyone looks back at the Super Bowl. It wasn't his fault they lost that Super Bowl. It was just play calling that just completely went against them and a defense that fell apart. Um, He's a player who, if you look at the balance of his career, probably deserves to win a Super Bowl. And then, you know, he still has arguably one of the best wide receivers in football who, you know, if you listened to the podcast last week, there was a suggestion that possibly Will Fuller might be better than him because in one game he caught three touchdowns. But (laughs) Julio Julio Jones is still arguably the best wide receiver in football. He's definitely in the top five. Um, 
absolute matchup nightmare, nightmare there. Calvin Ridley's a really good uh, wide receiver as well. Like as a number two, absolutely outstanding to have there. And then I think Hayden Hurst is a pickup from Baltimore this year. Didn't get didn't get that much attention. They gave up a second round pick to go and get him. Austin Hooper got paid as the highest paid tight end in the NFL before the big deals this past week to go to the Browns. I don't know they're going to have a huge drop-off from Hooper to Hurst. Hurst in Baltimore didn't put up a ton of numbers, but that was because he was outplayed by Mark Andrews. Um, and he wasn't as good a blocker as Nick Boyle. So he was never going to be a top-two tight end there, despite the fact he was a first-round pick. Anytime they threw him the ball, he's got reliable hands. He's faster than a lot of people think. In that offense, I think he has a chance to be like a seven, 800-yard receiver. Um so, you know, defensively, I think they have some big holes and some big problems, but this is a division that is going to be a track meet a lot of the time. And they have the quarterback, they have the talent at receiver. I, I think they can surprise some people and, and win in that, in that nine to 10 game region this year. They've brought in Todd Gurley. Um, I guess the big thing there is, is Todd Gurley fit? And can Todd Gurley nope. go back to the, <laughs> no, he isn't, is he? But no, can he go not. back to even half the player he was? Because, the lack of depth at running back seems to be a bit of a concern because if he is broken, then you know you're looking at Brian Hill as your next man up. Uh, <laughs> Quadri Allison, I, I don't. I mean, I I hope their running game is awful. You'll know from the amount of times I've been on here before. Running the ball is it's mainly down to how many defenders are in the box. You need to have a decent offensive line, which they have. Just throw the ball. Just throw the ball 60, 50, 60 times a game. The running game will open up if you're winning and you know people are having to worry about covering Julio Jones. Todd Gurley's highlights from last season, I think the NFL Network released. So that for all of the top 100 players in the NFL, they released uh, their best play of the year. And Todd Gurley's was a 22-yard run that he gives up on down the right sideline. It's, it's, it's this, and then and then they, they put him as like he was like the 41st best player in the NFL or something like that. And they put out this tweet, and everyone just destroyed it as soon as it was out. It was a 20-yard run that ends on the sideline. So, I, I mean, he might score eight touchdowns if they get to the one-yard line. I just don't think he's going to be particularly good. Charles, we talked about the um, the, the Tampa Bay defense being decent. Um, obviously concerns at the secondary. Is that where the Falcons can beat the Bucks? Is that where the the threat comes from? No. Um, and, and, you know, you can prepare for that because Gordon's right, they have no running game. What I do like about the girly pickup, it, I mean, look, there's not a great deal to like about it, but it is a hugely incentive-based contract that Todd Gurley has signed. So, you know, it's be it on his head to, to try and make something and prove to people i quite like incentive-based contracts on that front you know you look at someone like ndomican sue for the for the bucks he is on one and had a stellar year last year he was fantastic and it's similar for, for todd Gurley. he's got something to prove and will get paid should he be able to to do that i don't i'm not as hot on Atlanta whatsoever. I think they're a side in decline. I really do. I still think they've got their elite players. And I think, you know, with Ridley on one side and Julio Jones, and you've got an elite quarterback still. I think their offensive line is bang average. I think, and that's being kind, I think their defense, they can't land a defensive draft pick, right? They've, they've, they've tried on numerous occasions and I don't think they've hit 
properly on anyone defensively. I worry about their defense. I think they're blah. Uh, I think Dan Quinn, yes, they went six and two on the running. They started one and seven. He was, you know, I think he's lucky to still have a job. He's done well, you know, with, I think the team genuinely, I think it peaked, you know, a couple of years back. And I think he's on a slow decline, whether people agree or not. Within this particular division, I think you're going to have to be at your absolute best. And with Gordon totally, it's got to be a shootout every week for the Atlanta Falcons. You've got to put the ball, uh, obviously it will be in Ryan's hands, but you've got to put the ball in your playmaker's hands and you've got to throw it probably 35, 40 times a game if they are going to be successful. I expect the Atlanta Falcons to be high scoring. I expect them to be trying to come de- come back from deficits to win games if, if they are to do that. Um I, I don't, I'm not really high on them whatsoever. Um, and and I just, like I say, I just feel they're a side in decline as opposed to another side that will come to Carolina, where I believe that actually they're starting to, they're, they're starting to go the other way. But that's how I see Atlanta. I don't see them having a winning season. I don't see them even making a wild card. And I'm over, overall, uh, I'm, I'm massively negative on them. However, just before that, the head of Sky Sports Cricket Production is an Atlanta Falcons fan. So uh, <laughs> if they do do well, that's great. And uh, please, please can I work the entire winter? Thanks so much. Thank well, well, I'm, I'm not looking for a gig on Test Match Special, but I wouldn't mind five minutes with Charles in the commentary box. That would be great fun. Because uh, it, would, it would put me you up... You and me both. Yeah, I, th- I think it would put me up to 10 sports covered. So that, that would be great. Look, you know, t- Saints can lose to Carolina... The Saints can lose to Tampa, but they can't afford to lose to Atlanta. Now, the story that I may have told on a previous podcast, but I'm going to tell it again, was when the Falcons played the Lions at Wembley. I was travelling to Wembley, and I stumbled onto the tube of full of Falcons fans, and I am wearing my New Orleans Saints jersey. (laughs) And the looks I was getting from people, including this one rather large African-American gentleman who was about six foot five and probably could have crushed me with one hand. However... American football being that thing, we managed to get talking to each other. And he he leaned into me and he says, do you know, we hate you guys. And I'm going, I'm Scottish. What do you hate me for? He says, you know, he says, it's so bad with the Saints. If Atlanta make the playoffs, Saints fans buy tickets to come along to support the opposition. And I just think that is brilliant. That is a wonderful thing to do to another team. That is so, it's very Scottish in its mindset, which I love. But for laid-back Louisiana to be bothered to go up there, buy tickets, and boo the Falcons at home playoff games, (laughs) I love my team. I think that the Twitter spat between the Saints and the Falcons, in fact, I'm going to include this entire division. This is the best division when it comes to social media. And I think that the entertainment value is magnificent. And long may that continue. There is a, there's a rivalry, and of course there's a get-it-right-up-you rivalry, but there's also a lot of fun with it as well. And I think that this is one of the more entertaining divisions. And actually, if you look at it, you know, the last couple of years as well, obviously Tampa, Carolina, the last three, five and 11s. At the flip side, you've got a, a team running away with it. But these are teams that are all absolutely capable of beating each other. There's there's a conversation for any team to be in more than one position here, which I don't think we can say the same off a lot of the other divisions we've already previewed. I think that the Falcons have got a lot of gaps, definitely. Um, but if I'm looking for a positive, and I, I'm clutching at straws here, but they've uh, picked up a rookie punter this year called Sterling Hofrichter. 
Um, and I'm looking forward to that's 40 yards on the Hofrichter scale. And I, <laughs> if I don't hear that from a play-by-play commentator, I'll be I'll be writing letters. I'll be writing letters because um, that's that's a great name. Um, there's some, you know, I love some. They've they've also picked up Justin Gooseberry, which for me as well is just a name that you know. <laughs> there's a Gooseberry in the offensive line. Yeah, there's five of them. Anyway, right. Um, we'll move on from there, and we will wrap it up with the Carolina Panthers. So, Paul, you always ask me a question for this one, so pitch it. So the Carolina Panthers will be inspired to win the division because they've got divine help. Now, a future guest on the podcast is the current moderator of the Church of Scotland, the Right Reverend Martin Fair. And Martin is a Carolina Panthers fan. So my question to you is, how much praying would Martin have to do to ensure that Carolina won the division? Uh, Yes, a substantial amount. More than he can do himself. Um... Yeah, they've got they've got a challenge. They've got a challenge. Do you know what? It's 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 one of these things. Russell Wilson is being ruined somewhat in Seattle now in the scheme that they've got. We'll come on to the NFC West. And do you know what? Because I've said that they'll now win the bloody Super Bowl. I'll be miserable. But um the the Carolina Panthers are ruining the best years of Christian McCaffrey. And I think that that's the one shame out of this. Christian McCaffrey is a talent. He uh, I I I lament this every week i never get him in my fantasy league so i'm usually up against him and every week i just shout at the telly why are you not just putting two men on mccaffrey just what follow him watch where he's going he's getting the ball nobody else is one cam couldn't throw it and two no one could catch it it's going to mccaffrey just stand around him just like huddle him like make him play british bulldog um and even then, he'd still somehow manage to get 13 touchdowns and 2,000 combined yards. Um, he's just, he's an unreal talent. He's absolutely brilliant to watch. Teddy Bridgewater is an interesting one. I thought he did an okay job when he came into the Saints. They're, but when that Saints team's so ready to do well, I think that he's got a much harder task to be successful in Carolina. DJ Moore's interesting. I think he's a good talent. Obviously, Robbie Anderson is capable. Curtis Samuel's okay. McCaffrey's a talent. I think for me, the issue here is on defense still as well. There's obviously a lot of changes, a lot of movement, players leaving, and it's just a a defense that I'm not particularly impressed with. And I think that they don't have enough on offense to keep up with the teams that they're going to come up against, especially the three very offense-heavy opposition that they've got in the division. And I think there are... You put them in another division, the Panthers are a lot more competitive. In this one, they're just not going to be anywhere near. And I think uh, that... Can we, re- can we rewind to the point where you were feeling sorry for Christian McCaffrey? <laughs> Is there, I've, got, I've got numbers here for Christian McCaffrey. Right. Uh, eight, 8.4, 11. 11.8, 11.8, 12. That's his, after this season, that is his yearly base salary. He's not including signing bonuses. He's paid phenomenally well. Um, running backs these days, smart teams aren't choosing to pay them money, and the Panthers have still decided to go ahead and do that. They can't cut him like at least over the next three years. So he's making an absolute fortune. He's going to double his career earnings in the next like three years, based on that. He's fine. He, don't 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 feel bad for him. He'll be fine. <laughs> yeah. The thing the thing I worry about with the Panthers is that 
I almost think they should have looked at this season as a lost year. You've got a rookie first-year head coach who they're paying a ton of money to, so they're not going to can him after a year. They've got really smart ownership. You know, they've always been quite forward-thinking. They've got, they're in, uh, I think they're North Carolina. They're in North or South Carolina anyway. There is a potential game-changing quarterback from Clemson coming out this year who a load of teams are going to try and tank for. And if you don't sign Teddy Bridgewater, I think this is probably a two, three win team with Kyle Allen at quarterback before they traded him. You would have then been in prime position to go and get yourself, you know, either Trevor Lawrence or Justin Fields. Give you give yourself a chance, not just at getting that great quarterback though, but getting a quarterback on a rookie deal when elsewhere in that division, Drew Brees and Tom Brady probably retire somewhere in the next two years. So I, I I like Teddy Bridgewater a lot. I just don't think he has the arm to go and you know out duel the other three quarterbacks in that division. And I just think it was a it was a weird fit to bring him in there, where you know his ceiling with them this year is probably seven eight wins. Um, maybe they sneak in as a wild card. I just I don't see it. So you know I, I'm definitely a little bit down in the Panthers for that. I think they have a ton of talent on offense. Uh, DJ Moore's a wide receiver. I think is you know really starting to hit his stride. I just think they should have made a decision to to try and aim for next year quarterback-wise. Paul, where do you see the big threat coming from with the Panthers, if anywhere? I think they will be competent. I think they will do... I think, I think Gordon nailed it. You know, they've got a new head coach. I think he'll use it as a year in which he can learn, a year in which he can see what he wants to do. Because you're right, I mean, Brady and Breeze aren't going to be around forever. I think the Panthers have spoken to him and said, look, you know, don't worry about this year, you know, as long as, as, long as you don't go in 16. Uh, you know, I think the pressure's off and sometimes that can help. The only worry when the pressure's off perhaps is the culture and it's, uh, you know, be interesting to see what Charles thinks about this from the professional sportsman's point of view, is sometimes if the culture isn't right to encourage winning, things can get sloppy elsewhere. So, I, I mean, Charles, I think the messaging that's going to come from the coaching staff in Carolina is important. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I mean, I'm not as I don't think they're going to compete. I'm with I'm with everyone on this. I don't think I think they're going to have the record that you guys have said that they're going to have. I'm not as down on them. I'm, I'm looking sort of two or three down years down the line here. And yeah, I agree. You know, Christian McCaffrey is your go-to guy. He's going to touch the ball 40-odd times a game and he's going to pick up 2,000 yards from all-purpose yards. I like their three receivers. I like DJ Moore. I like Curtis Samuel. I like the fact they brought in speed in Robbie Anderson. These have genuine outlets. I like the fact, and I will happily back this up, I think Teddy Bridgewater is a massive upgrade from Cam Newton. I never liked Cam Newton as a player. And yeah, yeah, MVP season, this and that. He's not accurate enough. In this league, you have got to be, you've got to find your receivers. You cannot be the franchise guy. That's all very well. And you're the face of the franchise. But I genuinely believe that Cam Newton was about Cam Newton. He's going to have to learn up in New England fairly quickly that it's not about Cam Newton. And, you know, just numerous things that, and this is genuinely, Paul, it's right. From a, from a pro sportsman, yes, you can have your rock and roll stars. Of course you can. You can have your superstars and those who are driven by different things than a normal player is. But for me, that Carolina defense was the thing that really was, you know, with Keekley leading it, 
Um, they had some stellar players on that defense. They were solid. I actually see the start of something. I believe that they've got a, a quarterback in Teddy Bridgewater where, yes, there are some coming through, but um, in, in, the, in the next year of draft, you mentioned Trevor Lawrence. I think they've got a better than game management manager or uh, 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 Teddy Bridgewater. Um, Yes, he came into a system that was a good system in Sean Payton and he went 5-0 and that was great. He's had a year as a rookie starting at Minnesota before the the, um, injury that he had, his knee injury that he had. He did reasonably well in that in that rookie season so you know this is a veteran guy he's 27 years old there is still a lot of upside on teddy bridgewater i think yeah he's not got that enormous arm but i think he is a pretty decent quarterback whether he's a guy to lead them to a championship i don't know but i think there is a little bit more upside to carolina than people think the culture that paul was talking about i think they have been competitive bar Okay, last year, but the attitude—you know—that they, they they don't lay down and die as a side. They don't let you necessarily run all over them. I think that they have got a pretty decent culture over the the, the course of since since their existence. Um, they've always been in and around, and have always been competitive. Um, I think this is full circle for them. Where I feel Atlanta is going down, I think Carolina are restarting. They're not going to make any waves in the NFC South this year. You've got two strong teams or one strong team and one potentially strong team in, in Tampa Bay. So I'm not as down on them as, you know, he is only 27. He's got a lot of experience and a lot of learning over for the highs and lows of, of an NFL career. So if they can keep them upright, I think they can be competitive. I think their wins come out of division if they do get wins. Um, but but that said, I think they will still finish last. I still think, however, they're not going to be... I, I just like... I, I can't wait to see how Carolina are two years down the line. That's that's what I, I think about them. I'm not as... I, I think they're going the other way from Atlanta. Spent all their draft picks on defence... You know, it's going to be a young defense. They're going to learn. Uh, Matt Rule's going to learn. Um, but but I, I, I'm I not as down on them. Right now I am. But in a couple of years, I think we might just see the, um, uh, the fruition of a couple of things. Down on the way up rather than up on the way down, which the Falcons were. Right, okay. Um, yes. Yeah. That's what they are. <laughs> so this is the point now where we need to sort of Pin our thoughts to the mast. That's not the saying, but that's what I'm going with. Um, and we need to decide how we think the divisions are going to end up. Now, how we've been doing this is we're nice hosts. We put ourselves up first. Paul, you're a guest on this one. So I'm actually going to start with Gordon first. Gordon, how do you see this division panning out? One through so, four. I think the obvious the obvious question, the obvious two front runners. Um and it comes down to do you back Brady or Breeze. And, you know, I raised my own concerns about whether or not getting in there late hurts Brady, but Tom Brady's like, I don't know that we're ever going to have seen Tom Brady more motivated than he is this year to try and prove to people that it was him and not Bill Belichick in New England. And even at 40 years old, it terrifies me for the rest of the NFL that Tom Brady is angry and wants to win as angry as you can be when you're eating avocado toast as that yeah he's going to be as angry as possible um so i think the bucks win the division i think the saints are second 
I think Atlanta are third, and I think Carolina are fourth. Okay. Uh, an interesting and, yeah, bold start to kick it all off. So Falcons third and Carolina last. I'm just noting this down in my spreadsheet so we can come back and stick it down your craw later on in the year when you're completely wrong. Right, um, so I'll go next then. I said, I said early this year, and I put a burger on it with, I think it was Charles Patterson. Uh, not you, Charles, don't worry. You don't have to, me. you don't have to, oh, was, it, it was, me, yeah. was it you, Gordon, was it you? I, and you had a burger you've got bet two, with someone. You've got two bets I, on me now. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I took the bet as well, by the way. Yeah, so <laughs> I, well. I, I'm going to be even heavier than I, I than I am right now in March because I'm going to be deep in burgers because Tom Brady is not going to have a winning season this year, and I stand by it. He is at best <laughs> going to have an eight and eight because of everything that we talked about. Um, he's not got that checkdown. He's not got that running game. He's going to have to throw, and I don't think he's got it anymore. He's learning a new playbook. He's not got the time to do it. He's going into a complicated scheme with a lot of expectations. He's used to that. That's fine. But the Tampa guys around him aren't. Uh, and the 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 show's going to be even more about Brady. At least in New England, there was always a bit of the Belichick to take the, the flack off him. It's going to be 100% on Brady. And I think a huge part of it was Belichick. So I think 8-8 eight eight at best. So I've got the Saints winning this one. Uh, I've got eight and eight bucks, and then I've got. Oh, I'm actually flipping between these two, but I'm gonna I'm gonna go with the Falcons in third, and I'm gonna have the Panthers uh, in fourth place. Paul, I'll come to you next. Okay, I I think the Panthers are in rebuild mode. They win a few games. They're bottom. The Falcons uh, will be third. I think the Saints will win the division. I am by the the Bucks Kool Aid. I think they will be a threat. And certainly, I don't see them winning the division, but certainly wild card uh, under the new st- structure is, I think, pretty likely for them. So Saints, Bucks, Falcons, and Panthers. I just before we go to Charles, I didn't say they wouldn't get a wild card with their eight and eight. I just said they're going to go eight and eight. I'm not even saying they're not going to win a Super Bowl. I'm just saying they're going to have an eight and eight year at best. Come on, Cam, st- I, st- I stick want... your neck out. Come on, eight I, I want a burger. I want a burger for every game above five hundred. They are. And I'm going to have, like, four burgers from you come January. Right. Do you know what? Fine. I'll take that. I'll take that extra edge comfortably. Right. Charles, over to you. Right. I will drive to wherever you are in Scotland. (laughs) And when you buy me my burger, right, I don't want one of these, like, like McDonald's things, you know, like it's cheeseburger 99p. I want one of these, like, massive patties, like portobello mushroom, still and brioche. That's right. the yep. sit down. <laughs> it's a sit down burger. Yeah. Considering, right? Yeah. I want, yeah. I want a sort of. I want a London burger. Okay. <laughs> uh, even though I'm from there. Um. But uh, I'm with Gordon. Every win over uh, five hundred. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers get. You owe me a burger for that. All right. Fine. Um. And and okay. Every win under, I'll get yours. All right. <laughs> yeah. But um, I am in complete agreement uh, with Paul. I think Saints will win the division. I think they're the best side. Uh, I think they're a 12-13 win team. I actually think the Saints Buccaneers. I think will be a win each. Uh, I think I I, I, um, I believe that. Um, I think the Bucks will be a wild card team. I see them winning ten maybe um, eleven at the outside. Um, 
but I think they'll be a wild card team. I don't think. I think then Atlanta and Carolina can can play Madden for all I like it. Uh, but they're. they're um, I think Atlanta will finish third. There'll be six wins, something like seven, maybe. Uh, and Carolina a sort of four or five win season again. But um, but yeah, I'm I'm with the other guys. I see I see um, New Orleans. It'll be interesting to see actually the dynamic of the two sides when the Bucks and the Saints do go up against each other. And I think it will be, um, you know, it will be a prime time game. Um, and I think you know. You're not going to see it too often as well. You're getting two opportunities to see Breeze versus Brady uh, this year, and I think we should be excited about that. Um, but but no, I see I see the Bucks are ready to win. They're putting all their chips down on winning either this year or next, um, and so it should be exciting. But I don't think they're ready yet, um, and I th- and I think we'll see the Saints win the uh, division. So there you go. Right. Okay. Now, uh, Gordon. Burger. Gordon, you've already made your far too early Super Bowl prediction, uh, but Charles, we've not had yours. So to finish off this episode, we're looking for your AFC contender, your NFC contender, and who's going to win the whole thing? Uh, As in contender who I think is going to win the AFC? Yeah. So who's the two teams in the Super Bowl? Uh, Right. Kansas City. I mean, they they are... Primed. I mean, if only Patrick Mahomes had been given any kind of decent contract um, <laughs> that they could, you know. But I think they're, I mean, they are, they're brilliant to watch. I love watching. I'll tell you who I, I, I finally, after last year, um, after 20 years of just mind numbing watching Baltimore play, you know, watching Lamar Jackson and that offense is just, it's just been since I've loved watching them. So I think they're the two. Uh, I think that's the AFC Championship game. Uh, I really do. I think that the Baltimore Kansas City Chiefs. Um, from an NFC perspective, I can't see anybody coming out of the East. Um, I would love to see the Packers do well because I've got a soft spot for Aaron Rodgers. I love watching him. Um, but I can't see anyone from the North, really. Um, I think it's going to be the West where it's going to the biggest threat will come from for, for the Saints. Uh, but I do. I fancy the Saints in the NFC. Um I, I I don't fancy the 49ers doing it again. I think I, I just have a feeling for the Saints. So I think, but I still think it's going to be massively boring. But I, I fancy Kansas City to do what they did again. I really do. Well, there you go. That's the NFC South all tied up nicely in a little bowl. So, guys, Charles has dropped off there. Brilliant to have him. Any other news items before we wrap up that tickle your fancy? Yeah, I mean, Steve Levy's the new voice of the Monday Night Booth. Uh, Lewis Ruddick and Brian Greasy are going in there. I think it's safe. I think it's solid. And I think it's exactly what ESPN wanted. I'm not Steve Levy's biggest fan. I think he's decent. And I think this is his chance to shine. So I think that's that's the big news from the, the broadcast booth. The other thing, the CFL has said they're not going to play in 2020, which is disappointing. But I think the thing that caught my eye, Gordon, I mean, some of the, the money going to tight ends at the moment has been pretty good. Yeah, George Kittle got his big deal, and then about twenty minutes later, Travis Kelsey signed a new deal with the Chiefs. Which that that is peak social media banter because the that happened anytime anyone tries to say that George Kittle is the best tight end in the NFL, Chiefs fans are apoplectic, uh, furious that someone would dare go against Travis Kelsey. So for them to announce that deal straight after, 
um, I thought I thought was fantastic. That was great. And then the other thing I found interesting is that Des Bryant's got a workout in Baltimore. So the Ravens might add someone who he's, he's probably going to be like a fourth option in the receiving game there, but possibly a veteran pair of hands to, to try and help that offense move forward. Controversially, are they overpaying Kelsey at 30 years old and the contract that he's getting? It's not absolutely massive in its duration. But are they overpaying for a player that's probably going to start to maybe decline a little bit? I think they are very much aiming for the next couple of seasons, the next two, three years. Um, they, they don't, the dead money they have if they cut them, um, I don't think winds up being astronomical even with this new deal. So I think they very much are trying to you know, focus on the next couple of years with Patrick Mahomes being paid as much as he is. I think they're trying to maximise that early. Um, but yeah, I mean, long term, it might hurt them a little bit. Uh, it's it's an interesting one. Kelsey is obviously taking the 2013 draft. That's the first draft I ever sat down and actually watched the whole thing. And I decided to watch the whole thing, like every single round. And by that point, I was like, who the hell is this guy? Um, and obviously went on to, to have a huge career. He is a astronomically good tight end. And the conversation has evolved from, you know, uh, Gronk and Kelsey to then Gronk and Kelsey and Ertz to then it was Kelsey and Ertz. And now it's Kelsey and Kittle. Uh, and to be honest, it's just Kittle. Um, but, uh, you know, it's we've been... We've been fortunate, I think, to have some real high-profile, big play-making tight ends over the last couple of years. We've been, we've been blessed with this. I think it's a really exciting position to watch. It's, I think, it's probably my my favorite position uh, because I think the player has to do so much. The player is so involved in the block, the protection, and the pass game. They, they really do a little bit of everything, and I think that it's exciting that we've got these great tight ends that have character as well. I, I mean, obviously. I, if you've been to one of our live events, then you'll have seen I've got a George Kittle top. And I mean, I'm delighted that he signed a long contract because normally when I buy a top, the player buggers off within the year. <laughs> so, you know, for a start, it means I can keep wearing it for a while. But, you know, I, I love it. I, a great player to watch. L- love what he does. Love what he's about. Love his positivity. And it's a player like that that's so influential in the dressing room that on the field gets the fans going has that opportunity and Paul uh, forgive me because the Saints are probably going to do us over this year but last year that big play in that Saints 49ers game I had written that off at that point I was like there is no way we are coming back again and getting in front and then it was a massive play where he drew the foul and just you could see the way he celebrated that as well and he didn't get titchy he doesn't get involved he's not an aggro player and there was the game against uh, the the Cardinals, where he's noising up the, the cornerback, and he goes out injured, he comes back in, he's like, I'm still here, I'm still here. I can't remember the name of the cornerback now, it's totally escaped my mind. But um, he has a lot of fun. He has a lot of fun out there, and he's not afraid to show that he's having a lot of fun. I've- I think the interesting thing with that as well is that it's... So that was almost a contract that really shouldn't have been too difficult to do because tight ends don't make as much as top wide receivers. Um so George Kittle was always going to reset the market for tight ends. You could even reset it by a decent margin, like the Texans did with Laramie Tunsil, taking it that, you know, it's not just above, it's taking it to that next step. They did that with George Kittle. You're still getting a guy who is, across all positions, one of the top 
wide receiver, one of the top pass catchers in football, one of the best guys after the catch, and you're not having to pay him like a top wide receiver. You can pay him like a wide receiver too, which, you know, he can be that in that offense, but it's still going to be their primary target. So a really smart move for the 49ers. Um, and a nice deal for Kittle gets to reset the market without really backbreaking the team contract-wise. And interesting as well, I mean, Jalen Hurt looks as though he's completely broken now, but bringing in JJ Nelson and Tavon Austin. The Tavon Austin one is a little bit weird, I think, for the Niners, but the JJ Nelson one definitely raises an eyebrow for me. I thought he was a player that showed streaks of capability in Arizona. Didn't really work out for him in Oakland, but he knows the area. He can come down the coast. He can go inland a little bit and and play somewhere slightly safer than Oakland, and um, maybe can be an, an asset and a bit of experience to that San Francisco team, which is yeah, which would be great. Which would be great. Um, okay, right. I think that then is the full time whistle for episode one hundred and eleven. Thank you for taking the time to listen. Share your thoughts on this episode via Twitter at Scotland NFL and on Facebook by searching for NFL Scotland. We're growing all the time, and in parts of the world, we can't quite believe. However, we still need your help to keep it going. We appreciate every retweet, share, and love hearing your thoughts on what we've been discussing. We're heading west next week as we go to see if there's any scenario we can find where the Chiefs don't come out on top. Thank you to Charles and Paul for joining us. Thank you for listening and taking the time to share your thoughts. Go buy one of our week one party packs as they're about to run out. We'll be back next week, but until then... Bye for now.